0: Hi there, and welcome to the BIM Voice Podcast. My name is Petru Condoraro, and I'm glad to have you here. I'm a civil engineer living and working in Norway since 2014, and I'm passionate about building information modeling. I truly believe change is necessary and inevitable in our industry. To implement faster, better, and less costly ways of working, digital transformation is vital, and everyone involved must stop just talking about implementing BIM and actually do it. And what way to do it better than just to learn from the ones who have done it in the past or are doing it right now? Hello to the Beam Voice podcast. I'm glad to have you here, Lucian. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, Hello, Petro. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great.
0: Awesome. Glad to hear that. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Who are you and what are you doing?
1: So I'm currently a research assistant at the Technical University of Berlin uh, where I'm teaching and uh, doing research. So a little bit of a background, Uh, I actually started at the TU Berlin in 2016 when we started a brand new department uh, with the the purpose of filling some gaps in the uh, the field, of the civil engineering field especially. So one of the main gaps we see is, uh, let's say, the integration. Uh, We see like great efforts on uh, trying to have, let's say, a more um, digital approach when working on the projects. But one thing which is actually missing is the integration. So um, the name of the department, Civil Systems Engineering, it's mainly uh, let's say come from the concept of systems engineering which is heavily uh, let's say adaptive and implemented in our aerospace industry and also in the automotive industry as well where they have a kind of an integrated way of, of working. And then besides that um, I'm also technically at a small company called Contact here in Berlin uh, where we basically uh, doing consultancy and uh, software development. Uh, Me and and my partner, which is the professor, I'm working at the university and uh, we have good background knowledge um, uh, when it comes to civil engineering field. And especially uh, when it comes to these digital solutions for the civil engineering field, we see there are a lot of gaps. One of them is um, uh, for training people. And the other one is for custom tailored solutions to support the entire efforts um, in the civil engineering field. So we have the consultancy, and most of the time we do trainings for different companies. And we have the software development where we actually have clients; they want to have their custom tailor solutions to actually support their internal process or the process they have with their clients and, and uh, all the stakeholders. Actually,
0: they have contact. I see. Can you give uh, any examples of these softwares you, you built?
1: Well, I think one of the, um, the um, let's say, hot spots where we see there is a lack of solutions and uh, we see a lot of room for customization is actually for asset management. Uh, so usually imagine that you have a housing corporation and they need to do their uh, their asset management. So how do they do it? They currently have some processes in place. Uh, They follow. And usually, if you look at the market and trying to see what kind of tools you have available to support this process of um, doing the asset management for their built asset, right? For for how it's called. So, um, um, there are no tools, uh, there there are no tools which are easily customizable. Um, I have the knowledge that a lot of uh, asset management companies. Uh, and asset owners, um, they started doing, let's say, uh, in a more digital way, the asset management using Revit, for example. But Revit is not meant to be an asset management tool that's mainly for the design authoring and is supporting to some extent very well this, let's say, the design authoring phase. But it's not a tool someone should use for the asset management because there are different requirements for that. So we have we have some platforms. Um, and mainly we focus on the web base because uh, we think that slowly we have to move away from the desktop solutions uh, because there is a lot of hassle and also is one of the um, let's say is, um, is the main source of issues when it comes to information silos. Uh, usually people what they are doing with using this desktop based applications right where you have some tools installed on your computer and it's pretty easy to save everything you do all your work to save it on your local computer and you basically what you share with the other members of your team is just some reports and a lot of data It's lost. So we, we try to, um, uh, with all these solutions, especially with our clients, we try to convince them that the cloud-based solution, is much more better than a desktop one. And then we focus on developing this cloud-based solution to support different workflows.
0: Yes, yes, I really think uh, about this. Uh, it's, it's a huge communication problem. When everybody works uh, locally, a lot of information is missing, is it, it, getting lost. Uh, just yeah, just yeah. Bits. I mean, they have it. Mm-hmm.
1: They have it. They work with it. But then uh, the only thing uh, they save somehow is only the deliverables, and yeah. then everything on which the deliverables was uh, were created, it's lost.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is also very difficult to to reuse it on other projects, uh, and especially uh, like. Let's say maybe on some projects they've seen, they have some uh, good solution and they try to apply that. But actually, I think something that is even more important, a lot of the mistakes, the biggest mistakes are forgotten. And that's 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 something really, really big because the mistakes should be really important, a really important focus to learn from and to grow from, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. But it's like to some extent... Uh, that's something which is actually related to what kind of knowledge network you have inside your company and how you decide to share this kind of mistakes right Um, i think this is this is a little bit more of related to the um, the process of organizing your team in such a way that they have i don't know uh, if it's uh, you have to uh, to create some kind of incentive for the teams to share this uh, or is just built in in your company culture this idea of uh, of sharing not only the uh, the mistakes but also the successes right so we can learn from both of them uh, and then of course we know that a lot of uh, success stories are, are built on uh, a lot of trial and error and um, uh, probably some a lot of mistakes uh, which. Uh, kind of represent the foundation of the success story, right? But I know companies uh, where they have this, um, how do you call it? Um, it's a lunch-based sharing session, something like that during the lunch. Uh, people, they just grab their lunch and then they come together and someone is actually, while they are eating, someone is actually presenting what they managed to do and how they do it. So I think this is this is a good way to actually share, especially, let's say, at the local level, because um, we are talking about, um, first, making sure that the team you have in a a local office is aware of what's happening on the other projects. Uh, And then when you talk about a bigger company, then you have to make sure that somehow you share all these learnings um, across the company.
0: Yes, that's true. I would go even further with this with what you just said about building a culture inside the company. It might sound a little bit crazy, but I think this is what our industry needs. It's actually to not build a company culture, but an entire industry culture. Because you mentioned a little bit earlier about the silos. This is actually something that plagues our industry. We are way, way too fragmented. We don't work together. We just don't do it. The actors involved in the entire process, if they work well at some level at individual level the cooperation level it's really bad
1: well i I can i can tell you why is that because they are they are used to work on the input output way so they're receiving input from someone and then providing output to someone else and then uh, where everything breaks that is because they don't collaborate um, in, in the early phases in the project because imagine like the workflow, which was like really ingrained in the civil engineering field is like you have the architect proposing a solution and being always in contact with the client. Right? And then once you have the like the architectural solution or a kind of a, let's say 50% solution, architectural solution, uh, then you provide the input to the structural engineer. And then the structure engineer is doing his job, and then uh, probably might come back to the architect with some um, uh, some feedback, some proposals to change some things in order to make it. I don't know one of let's say key performance indicator in our industry cost, is cost and time, uh, and it always comes down to how quick and how cheap you can build something. Right. Um, so these are these are the main key performance indicators. Um, uh, let's say kind of. Um, um, are um, within our industry. Uh, so now, the one thing we have to change because we also have the possibility to use the computers in a more meaningful way to support the entire design process is we, we can allow people to come together and explore various solutions together. So we do this, um, uh, we try to teach people or the students, our students at university, we, we have, um, especially when it comes to the social collaboration, uh, let's say social um, communication on the project as how people should organize their work in terms of knowing uh, when to talk to someone, when to to ask some information, um, in understanding which are the interface points between different disciplines or with another stakeholders. So we have a class design in this way where students come together and the focus is, is is on the collaboration. So it's a project-based class. they focus on collaboration uh, and mainly try to organize their way from this perspective of stre- strengthening the collaboration on the project. And then of course, one of the key um, or the essential parts of this is knowing in advance where are the interface points between um, a different, um, let's say, sp- specialties uh, which are actually uh, working together on the project. That sounds
0: good how do the students uh, receive this how do they see this class
1: they really like it i mean it's like just half an hour ago i just got an email from one student saying um, uh, they really like this uh, this way of teaching And because but i have to mention that we we kind of have a flipped class approach in our teaching Uh, so we are kind of the facilitators and then we, we kind of facilitate their learning, but we don't um, uh, give them like targeted. Um, uh, we allow them to, based on their preferences, for example, to decide on which direction they want to um, go deeper. Um, I think you're familiar with this T-shape where we have like in the surface, like the, uh, the horizontal part of the day, you have, um, let's say, um, uh, the basic knowledge you need to know and then you have the possibility to go on the vertical line in more in-depth to actually, uh, let's say, explore a bit more or learn a little bit more. Uh, and one of the advantages of this approach is that we should never forget that in our field, we always uh, continuously need to learn, uh, even on the, uh, working on a daily job. And then one of the, the advantages is that you actually teach the student how to learn, not um, giving give him theory and then say, okay, you learn
0: now. You know, it took me over 10 years after I finished the university to, to learn this on my own skin. And now I became an avid learner. This is like ironic because when I finished the university, I just thought, yeah, it's going to stop there. I finished now. I'm going to work, just work, make money, live my life. And, but it's so much more than that. The learning itself can, can be the purpose of our lives.
1: Yeah. And then you, you need to keep in mind that it's so much a, a, a university can actually teach you. Right? Imagine it's only four years or five years mm-hmm. back in our time. It was five years, right? So how much can you learn in five years? I mean, you can even spend the whole 24 hours in a day you have in those years, and still you'll not be able to, to learn everything what's related to the field. So I think one of the main purposes of the university is, is actually to teach the students how to learn once they are out there in the field, and then they will always face new situations. Right? We always talk about the specificity of each project. Although there are some overlaps between these projects, uh, but there's always something which is specific. And we know that there are a lot of sources and we can talk about this a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, you know, this is, this is funny, actually. You know why I, I started this podcast? It, it, it's going to sound a little bit uh, egoistical, maybe. But I started, first reason is to learn more. I'm just so uh, motivated to learn more. And at the same time to share with others, with, with other people that are interested in doing the same, that want to learn more and do more for our industry, to, to, to fill the gaps, to, to, to help uh, solve the problems, the struggles.
1: Yeah, for me, it doesn't sound so selfish. I mean, I, okay, you want to learn for yourself, but um, you also said that uh, you want to share this um, with, uh, uh, with with other people. Uh, so that's actually important. I mean, um, I'm learning every day, but in the moment when I'm sharing something with uh, with other people, I'm learning even yes. more. Right? And then I think it's the same with you, um, and uh, it's the same with a lot of people. And it's interesting that you see, you, you decided to... To approach the learning process from this perspective not a lot of people want to go on down this road
0: yeah it's quite unique maybe but this will enable me to get in contact with the best of the best because I know you're there I'm coming for you to show the world <laughs> how the things must be done
1: that's great that's great
0: yeah if we go back a little bit uh, you mentioned in the start that uh, through your company Or university maybe as well you're offering these courses or consulting services can you go a little bit deeper in that
1: yeah sure Um, so a little bit more about my background Uh, before I finished my studies I actually started working with uh, with Arcadis uh, a big design consultancy uh, company and I got the, the chance to actually work across Europe um, uh, even outside Europe on, on different projects and Belgium, France, Netherlands, uh, Doha this was like the, the, the places where I was like in person they working face to face uh, with the people, and then also collaborating remotely, the way we are actually doing, given the situation, trying to um, to remotely collaborate now with people from um, from different countries, from the other side of the world, um, from Hong Kong to U.S., uh, Philippines and um, U.K. Uh, a lot of I got in contact with a lot of people. And of course, um, um, once you get in contact with a lot of people, you will learn more. So, with Arcadis, I was actually involved, I was a BIM manager, and um, I was also involved um, in uh, setting up back in 2013 when kind of BIM was young in, um, in Europe. So, uh, Arcadis. Uh, decided to uh, go ahead and start building a kind of um, um, a corporate strategy when it comes to the adoption of BIM and then all the stuff which comes with with the adoption of BIM, uh, different standards, um, maybe um, uh, setting up different processes, trying to uh, to train people because uh, once you um, think about uh, working in a kind of a collaborative way. Then uh, you, you need to train people on using different software or new softwares or make, make their life easier for them, right? Uh, because we, we all know that back in 2013, I think AutoCAD was the king, everything was in 2D. And of course, um, um, it was even compared to previously how people were working. There was something beneficial from jumping from the paper-based drawing when you're doing everything by hand, uh, something I also experimented in uh, in the university, um, jumping on doing stuff or having the computer to support um, your design and engineering process, and then trying to make the computer even help you a little bit more. Um, so, so coming back to you, um, there are some consultancy services built around this, uh, or trying to, um, let's say, use the knowledge I gained during the uh, these years, so with like ages being immersed in this uh, beam war, and trying to uh, to help other companies which are struggling on on, on doing this kind of uh, jump or making this step, right? So that would be one direction. Um, and another one, it's a little bit more, let's say hot, uh, let's say, when it comes to the uh, industry and um, uh, the idea of um, um, digitization, digitizing the civil engineering field, it's it's ready to data analytics, where uh, we see that all the companies, all the people working on different projects, they are collecting huge amounts of data. Um, and then this can take different forms can take the forms of a 3 d model it can take the forms of the reports uh, can take the forms of different measurements on the site uh, if you think about um, um, doing the um, i know the geotechnical measurements for the, for the soil. Uh, doing the um, uh, the inspections of the existing, um, um, I don't know, uh, system, uh, product, uh, I don't know, maybe for a bridge, maybe for a um, uh, for a tunnel, maybe for a building. Uh, so we have different ways, and then we see that um, uh, people are start adopting these new ways of collecting more and more data. And the the whole idea is, okay, we have a whole theory on which our field is, um, uh, or the civil engineering domain is built, and we are using it um, uh, in our daily practice, but we all know that there are a lot of unknowns, so how can you use the data to fill those gaps? Um, uh, There is an opportunity to create new services, uh, there are opportunities to automate uh, some of the um, uh, aspects uh, which are related to design, asset management, uh, and so forth, and I think all these, um, uh, uh, let's say, efforts uh, have uh, a single base, a big foundation, which is data.
0: If we can uh, recap this quickly to be sure that we understand, you said that you help other companies to to build to to build their beam strategy or something yeah. similar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My interest area is automation, design automation, everything what is related to design automation. And uh, of course, with this comes also changing specific processes, how we design things and so forth. Um, um, but um, there is also the focus on, 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 on this collaboration and communication, which is mainly uh, let's say under the umbrella of uh, my professor' interests, and then using the technologies to support this um so um yeah i hope it makes sense yeah uh but yeah so there are different ways of how to help companies but one of the, the main things is like we, we all talk about the digital transformation or at least the the the, the entire uh, field civil engineering field started talk about the digital transformation and then of course um Um, without digital solutions we cannot talk about digital transformation and then with the digital transformation comes also the challenge of how do we change the um, the way we are um, doing things i see so that's that's Mm -hmm. that's very important
0: yeah uh well since we're here (laughs) at a podcast about bim what do you understand with bim what is bim for you how would you describe bim
1: well, there's a tough question. Um, some people might agree or might not agree. Do your best. Uh, For me, the the entire idea behind BIM is actually that it's going to help you to um, uh, have a structured approach on dealing uh, with the information you have on the project. We we all know, um, I mean, how this actually started. Um, in, in the beginning, there was a big hype and people were thinking that BIM is 3D. Uh, and then everything that's in 3D, it's reliable. We, we almost forgot that in the end the the entire 3D was just a model created um, for, uh, for a specific purpose. So actually uh, when you look at um, um, what's happening or what's behind BIM nowadays and all these um, standards which are put in place but to some extent, or helping you to um, uh, to understand what kind of a workflow you need to have on the project, it's always targeted on the, the idea of creating something with a specific purpose, and then everything you put in a 3D model needs to serve a specific purpose. All right. So here comes the the idea of the beam uses. So so for me, it's uh, to put it in a nutshell, uh, beam it's. Um, 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 I, I see it as a process because uh, um, a lot of people are saying that it's a process, but it's um, 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 a set of means on actually structuring your um, uh, your efforts on dealing with the information on the project. And uh, I, I will put this, um, um, uh, let's say this. I, I will put it this way: it mainly because. We we have to see past of um, um, the advantage of BIM offers for the um, a design and engineering phase, and also there are benefits um, for the, the asset managers for the other phases uh, in the life cycle of um, of a system of a product. Uh, you have the operation. You have to deal with the maintenance. Um, if you have all the information there, or the information you need there, uh, you no longer have to send people on the field to make measurements. Uh, if you have the information up to date, so that's one of the things, right? So you 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 want to keep these models up to date. Otherwise, they become obsolete. So then you, again, even if you have an old model, you still have to send people on the on the field to make measurements or do inspections, right? Um, so here it comes with uh, with a new ways of doing things uh, and changing the way we are doing things in our field.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's a, a really, really well articulated uh, definition. I could not have said it better. Actually, this uh, what you started saying about uh, uh, the the three D component. Uh, this is another reason I started this podcast actually. I wish and I hope to clarify uh, and help people understand that uh, BIM is not only a 3D model. It's mind-boggling how, how widespread this idea is. So much people are limiting the, the purposes and the mean, meaning of BIM to, to the 3D model and missing the, the biggest and most important component here and the I in BIM, which is information. It's, yeah. every, everything is about that. So,
1: yeah, if, if, if you think in this direction, uh, everything what's visualized as a 3D model, it's only partial information related to um, um, the entire, let's say, data you have available from a project. Imagine that you only represent the elements which are in a 3D, but linked to those 3D elements, there are a lot more information um and data which is linked and you cannot uh, you can't um always represent everything in 3d it's just partial if you only rely on uh, what the, the 3d model is showing you 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 can um, be misled.
0: yeah that's so true and uh, the other thing that it's very biased like uh, consultants are uh, years ahead of the other parts involved in the process in, in the planning design building and uh owning and maintaining the using the the pro the project right so that's why it's very important and that's why we need to break out these silos and you work as a team like from all the parts all involved parts to do that
1: yeah that's that's um, um that's very important and then we come to the need of having the right tools to support this collaboration
0: Yes about that do you think that these are the biggest challenges we don't have the tools yet to make more fluid workflow or cooperation between these parts
1: there are some challenges related to uh, to the tools Uh, of course we have expected that up till now uh, when we're already talking about the digital transformation Um, some of these challenges will will have been addressed. One of the uh, biggest challenges is this interoperability between different tools. Uh, Because you you have to think in in this way. Uh, You might have a big team of people working on the project and then you can just split them in different ways. You can just create small groups with the various disciplines, Right. You can create big groups, which each discipline, it's part of a group, right? and so forth. So you can organize it in a different way. But to some extent, you still need to start sharing information between um, all the people working on the, on the project. And then I, I think one of the biggest issues is this lack of integration. And then uh, we think about the integration, also because we talk about the interfaces between different disciplines. Let's talk about the interfaces between different tools. So, how do you actually, how do we actually share you know, information which is needed between uh, different tools, right? And then, I, in my perspective, um, uh, sometimes I was loving IFC, but uh, I think the IFC the way it's created is actually misleading. Uh, it, it, it was started like a kind of an interoperability uh, format. Yeah, I'm going to start the war now. Um, but it, it, I say it's not the right way when we talk about this interoperability between tools. You just need to have these interfaces where you just send the data you need to a different tool. Um, uh, instead of actually spending time exporting, imagine it's like I can give you some some example from my previous experience. For a two hundred megabytes Revit file, when you export it, you're gonna end up eight times the initial size in Revit. <laughs> and then I I I ask people from Building Smart is like why is that happening? It's like okay, there is there are a lot of concepts which are kind of in that IFC format, and then. Yeah, we don't know if we need them all or people need them all, but um, it's again, it's like the the one-click export of your file um, to an IFC format, it's actually cutting off or thinking or making us think that we are cutting off this need for communication and meaningfully defining what is the need of sharing that specific model with someone else. And maybe they don't even need the entire 3D model. They only need some other kind of information from there, some general information. Uh, but you, you just send them a, a 3D model and then they come back to you with a lot of questions asking, oh, why is that? Why is that? Maybe th- most of those questions are not so meaningful. Uh, but there is like, imagine you have a 3D model and then you just sometimes, out of curiosity, you start asking questions.
0: Mm. Are there any? other f- potential formats that are, could be better than, than IFC? I,
1: I don't think there should be a format on exchanging this information. I mean, we all know that uh, under the hood of all, mo- all of our tools are some um, data models. And I'm talking about the data model, something similar to IFC, right? Imagine that you think of the IFC as a lot of lines of um, information or a lot of lines of text on which you have specific information related to that. It's it, the same happens with um, how the file is stored by Revit, how the file is stored by other tools like Archicad or Tecla, right? They all, all these tools have an underlying data model. And what you are doing actually, you transform that. Um, data model to IFC, and then from IFC, you import it and transform it in Revit, for example. If you transform the model from Tekla to Revit, you have to go through this middle middleman called IFC, and I, I don't see the need of having that. It's just a way of defining well interfaces for most of the tools. Yes is defining is like, it, once you have these interfaces, you just, uh, you can say, okay, I'm gonna transfer this um, information to that specific tool. Um, and then, uh, um, uh, these interfaces needs to be standard um, uh, because in the software development industry, they already learned this on the hard way, right? And then if you think about now is how um, the information is changed or exchange uh, between different services, it's just most of the time it's just JSON formatted, for example, mm. right? And there's just um, um, let's say encapsulated in a in a specific request, and then just send it, and then you receive it. You get a response back saying it was successful. The other one gets the information um, they need, and it's done, right? So, IFC um, in its form, it cannot play this uh, this role because it's too big. I know a lot of my colleagues, um, let's say from research, from academia, they invest a lot of time on, um, I don't know, expanding the IFC, studying um, what's happening mm. with the IFC and so forth. In my opinion, coming from the practice, um, it's just a waste of time. It's like the, the only reason you, you, you can export something to IFC if you want to just freeze in time, uh, different phases, mm. the information, right? But then we can do it in the same way with a timestamp in a database in a schema-less um, uh, format uh, without um, following the IFC. And then you just retrieve it from there.
0: You know what is, is good? Because this, this will uh, motivate people like you coming with better solution.
1: I mean, uh, we see some efforts now, but I have known on um, top of my head to, to give us a good example of, of practice. But we see that the industry uh, is slowly moving to more, um, uh, let's say, web-based solutions uh, to support the design and engineering phase when uh, also supporting the operation and maintenance of the, of the asset. So that's a good thing because you can handle easy, uh, in an easier way this kind of, uh, uh, this kind of interfaces. And then um, um, probably I, I might add something more to this uh, IFC debate and maybe uh, people will start their own debate on this. Um, but imagine you create those models, right? To some extent, to, to you try to embed some kind of intelligence into those models. Yes. Right? And then we come back to uh, the idea of um, uh, parametrics, right? Parametric modeling. Mm-hmm. Right in the beginning, it was like the whole idea of the uh, object-based parametric modeling. It's what Revit is doing. Uh, if you change the um, the length or the thickness of the wall, it's actually gonna update uh, the stuff related to that wall. Maybe distribution of the layers based on the thickness and, and and many other things. We have this intelligence at the object level, and some in some other cases we have it at the project level as well with more advanced mm-hmm. cases. Right. Uh, Imagine that once you exported that to to ifc you you lost all that intelligence It's like,
0: like like PDF
1: yeah, it's like PDF and then you send it to you send it to someone it's like the way is like sharing a PDF with, with someone and it's trying copying from the PDF to create a new Word document.
0: I heard these days in a meeting someone said that PDF means permanently dead. Yeah, I think in in some cases, it's okay.
1: (laughs) Um, But um, in in some of the cases, yeah, it's the case. I mean, if you share that model with a specific purpose, I, I can give you different examples, right? So if you have an architectural model, which is like a 3D wall, so maybe some information about materials um, uh, to all the elements and windows glazing and whatever, if you share it with the energy expert who wants to run the simulation, he's just going to, um, uh, let's say, format the entire model and reduce it to a set of surfaces and spaces and zones, and then have all that information just um, um, let's say linked to those surfaces. Everything was related to the wall, including the thickness. It's linked to that surface as a parameter, right? And and the same with the structural engineering. I mean, I'm a structural engineer by background, right? <laughs> and uh, we all know that simplified stick model we are doing when you do the structure analysis, and it doesn't help us much because everything related to the architectural model, it basically, in our case, reduced to loads. And we see how the stick model performs and what's the best section we have to put there, right? And then what is the purpose of receiving from the architect the entire 3D model exported to IFC when it doesn't um, fulfill the needs, right? And you see it is like, it, it starts from a really detailed model, which is usually the architects are doing, and then it comes down to the simplification and the formalism is discipline, is actually um, having in place to, to use the computers to support their, their effort, in doing the structural analysis or so, so forth. Right? And then it, it can be easily simplified. <laughs>
0: How? It, it's just
1: through these interfaces. It's like, okay, I'm sending this model to the structural engineer. We already know what the structural engineer needs to run the structural analysis. You don't need to export everything. To, um, so you send, just send it as a flow of data to the structure engineer. He put it together. And, but how um,
0: concretely will you do that?
1: Well, you need to define these interfaces. and um, Because, again, you have this transformation from a data model to another data model. And then from one representation to another representation, right? Because we, if you want to use the computers to help us in our... Endovers, right? Uh, we we need to use uh, specific formulas to so how we see a 3D model or a wall, for example, from the perspective of a structural engineer, from the perspective of an architect. and we know that there is practice out there, they they are working with that, right? And then you just define it's like, okay, I'm if I'm going to send this model to a structural engineer then um, um, this is the information structure engineer needs. It's just only the structural model. I mean, if you look in Revit, there are efforts on uh, on, uh, clearly defining this um, analytics model. Mm -hmm. And then imagine that usually what's happening, that analytics model in defining Revit is actually the base for doing all the structural analysis in another tool from uh, Autodesk, which is robust structural analysis. And then you send it back with, um, uh, you calculate specific sections for your elements or uh, whatever, and you send it back to them to the same model from which you, you got the, the information, right? So it, it's just this, like defining the interfaces. It's like cross-disciplines, uh, cross-tools. You need to have these interfaces which you actually allow you because we know what kind of data we send. It's just send it and um, uh, the other person is going to use it. Are you working right it. like, now on such an uh, interface? We had some... Uh, Some projects on which uh, we actually try to deal. I mean, I'm also talking from the experience as a software development in this way because um, um, I took a model and then um, I I had to transfer it to uh, another tool, let's say from Revit to energy performance analysis. And then you just take the, um, I mean, if you look at in Dynamo, you might have a different ways to uh, export, uh, let's say, to grab all the Revit file to export it, to make this connection with different tools. So we can see nowadays, like Dynamo, at least for interfacing with um, 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 Autodesk products, Dynamo Beam from Autodesk, right? Uh, so uh, you have uh, some packages which were written by some, um, uh, some smart people out there, and then you can just take the Revit model and export it to uh, different structure analysis software, uh, to different energy performance analysis tools, right? So you, you just take the revit model and then um, uh, through the pipeline created by these people, you just uh, uh, without having the IFC as a middleman and you just send it and then you open it, it works perfectly, um, and then you you do your job, you send it back the results based on the results, it's maybe going to perform some changes and so forth. So this is the, the interconnectivity we want, otherwise having a middleman is just going to break the entire workflow and we start talking about the concurrent engineering in our field. And uh, one of the um, underlying issues with the concurrent engineering is that we actually need to share data in real time with, uh, with the other discipline. Uh, so why should I overload? So as an architect, it has performed changes on a 3D model. Uh, why should I overload the, the, the structural engineer uh, with uh, sending him the, the whole model? And then sometimes asking him is like, oh, look for changes. It's like, a, a find the differences in the game, right? Uh, when you just send it, this simplified version of your model will update it uh, on his side. Uh, and then um, he will quickly understand what was changed, right? Uh, and then uh, and the idea of this, um, this collaboration, because each discipline, each stakeholder will create their own models. It's also um, um, very important to have these well-defined interfaces like when you define, or re- define what, share, what you share with the others because once you change something in your model, you need to uh, clearly see what you have to share with the others right? so that they can update the model because if you're talking about the, the, the collaborative engineering and design, uh, then you need to do that. Uh, also, you need to have the tools in place to, to support that. And from my perspective, it's just a matter of development because all the knowledge is there. We've been doing this for years, right, sharing uh, trying to share stuff, but it's, it, it's a matter of the, the implementation, having it there. I mean, you can get a structural engineer, uh, an architect and an um, energy expert in the room and say, okay, this is the model I'm using. And then you, can, you already have like, um, uh, each one will say the models they are using. They all now say, okay, this is uh, information coming from the architect, usually. Then it needs to be transformed in this way, so then you have the interface. Or uh, you don't even need to transfer anything, It's like most of the times it's like the structural engineer, they, they will just create this thick model from scratch. Based on 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 some characteristics of the architecture, like where the walls are intersecting, uh, where are the position of doors and windows, and maybe some uh, some uh, shape features of the uh, the whole building. So you create this kind of, um, and then we know as a certain engine engineers, we know that this is kind of iterative process. And usually the architects they like the iterative process because they keep changing the position of the doors, windows, and walls, <laughs> and then. If you share only that information, which is actually as a basis for for the input for the structural engineer, he can quickly update his model, right? You don't even need to send the the whole model or the kind of, you just send the information they Mm. need. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. So that's, and then it's just gonna, the the whole information transfer probably is gonna be reduced to a set of uh, five, 10 parameters, which the, the structural engineer can take it, but then you have the continuous flow between that because if you change something, then you also want to have the software engineering mm-hmm. form on your change instead of having a specific meeting uh, or a meeting especially uh, set to communicate the changes from the architect or... You know, just like um, from my experience, um, there are two ways the whole idea of the communication and collaboration can go uh, uh, on the project. Uh, in some cases, can be beneficial, but you ne- really need to define where are these interface, interface points between different disciplines. And, and In some cases, uh, it goes sideways uh, and the people, um, they, they even forget what is the purpose of getting together and they start talking about some random things um, um, in, in those meetings and maybe some of them might not make any sense. Uh, Like I've seen meetings on uh, on which the architects start asking the structural engineer details about the structural analysis model. I say, how much of that stuff do you understand? In some cases, okay, it's it's important, but when you start asking the details about what is this force at this base of the color... It's like,
0: now on. I need to get an architect <laughs> on the podcast to defend everything you just said. <laughs> well,
1: well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I love working with the architects. I mean, one of the things I actually like them is like this idea of iterating and changing stuff. I mean, change is good. I'm a big fan of changing stuff in a project, right? But don't change after the project was constructed. <laughs> <laughs> Do it until we hit the ground and know um, um, after we, we casted the concrete.
0: Yeah, that was interesting to hear. You live in, uh, in Germany today. How would you describe uh, the state of BIM in Germany, generally compared to other countries in the world?
1: Well, I believe that um, they, they are working their way towards the adoption of them. Uh, but of course, uh, like, in, in, any other, um, like in, a, in any other countries, there are hiccups. I think they try to standardize too much. They sometimes just overthink some things. And then uh, they, they, if you try to standardize everything at the country level, uh, instead of having a set of guidelines and policies, uh, you try to implement a lot of standards and, and and this kind of things, and it's a lot of hype around the IFC as well, then you kind of force all the companies to uh, to adopt everything you standardize at the country level. It's like the, the way the design process goes, uh, and it cannot be always the same because you always have probably different contractors, different engineers, different architects coming together, or everything is linked. Um, to this idea of the, um, the the fragmentation. And you still need to bring all these people together, right? And then an architect, they have their own process, um, the the structural engineer and the contractor, they have their own processes, right? Uh, and even if even they are actually in Germany, then they still have their own internal ways of working. Um, and um, uh, how do you actually start... Proposing a standard process, um, which um, will force the other companies to uh, to work that way. Uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of uh, emphasis uh, put on the standardization. Yeah. So
0: you think this is the biggest struggle? and digitalization can well, go it, further. It, it might be yeah, quicker.
1: It, it might be. I I, I, I can say this my own. own <laughs> yes. Opinion yes. You are allowed. But yeah, that's like in, in, in any country, some, some companies are moving faster, some companies are moving slower, especially the, the asset owners, uh, they usually move too slow To um, and then uh, usually need to have the contractor or the um, engineering company uh, trying to support and trying to bring up to speed the clients. And then there is also a lot of struggle um, because everything in Germany is around what the law says right. so if in the law it is required to print out all the drawings and to send them for the approval then you have to do that otherwise you cannot get around that but we see we see uh, things are actually changing in this direction for example uh, some of the um, the states in germany they are called um, uh, bundeslands um, uh, some of the states actually start uh, experimenting with um, uh, draw less uh, projects digital submissions yeah, not drawing less projects but at least with digital submissions um, such as you no longer have to print out um, um, uh, 20 folders um, of your project in, um, uh, or to, to print your project in 20 folders because you need to provide or to send out um, a three exemplars. Is this struggle to actually uh, create this momentum to, uh, to change also the law, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want to get your project approved. Right? Yeah. And then if, if the law is actually required to you to send the physical uh, printed drawings to send them to the approval um, um, organization, then you have to do that. Um, but like I mentioned, some of, the, um, uh, some of the states are actually experimenting with these digital submissions instead of, um, in, instead of um, uh, printing out, they, they have this possibility uh, to um, uh, to make this uh, um, uh, digital submissions for approval. Um, of, co- of course, it's a lot of struggle in terms of security and um, how do we make sure that it actually comes mm. from the right person yes. with the digital signatures and so forth. Right? Uh, but yeah, I think those are kind of challenges a lot of countries need to. Uh, and then it's 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 a culture thing, right? And then you imagine that you you have to take everything what's related to the beam theory and somehow to find a better fit uh, for a specific
0: culture. Mm, yes, indeed. Well, it's not easy to make the culture shift because we've building the same name for the last 2000 years.
1: Well, we, we see some changes in this direction. I mean, um, we've been struggling <laughs> a lot, I mean, uh, imagine in our industry, I think you're familiar with the, uh, the, the concept of the industrialization where a lot of access was put on standardization. Then that moved away and it comes the, the whole era of the, the user-based customization. I think about it like how the user can actually customize himself um, at the apartment, what is allowed to customize and so forth, right? And that's a bit kind of moving away from the whole idea of the standardization and now, With BIM and having also this kind of cultural thing that you can rearrange everything you want in your um, uh, apartment, or you have a custom-tailored solution for your needs in terms of a single-family house, or even in terms of uh, of a factory, right? So these are the things you you, um, the people need to handle, for example.
0: The actual customer has been for so long completely ignored.
1: Well, yeah, in, in some cases, yeah, that's true. Um, when you think about uh, especially public projects, <laughs> uh, especially public projects, the infrastructure ones, right? Uh, we can say that. Uh, but uh, what what I wanted to say is like we, we see where people are thinking, OK, we have some standardized solution, but these are easily adaptable to different needs of the users, right? I think about the design for manufacturing. Uh, It's one of the trends nowadays where we actually consider all these, let's say, uh, aspects of... um, You you have some standard manufacturing uh, process. Yes. um, Right? And then that's also related to... One of the the issues is like a lot of waste actually comes from the construction sites. Uh, So one of the things is how do you actually... Uh, design something which is um, in a big um, percentage manufactured off-site and then it's shipped to the site and quickly put together, Mm. for example. And then having a kind of a standard around how everything, the production uh, of different parts of the building will happen and how all this will be put together, um, you need to account that for uh, during the design and engineering phase. right. And then, of course, doing the design, and then you need to consider also the uh, all the user needs. Um, um, and then to make sure that you fit your design on a specific production process. Uh, you can have one more or, or so forth, right? But you think about having as much as possible um, manufactured off-site. And we see companies actually... The entire business model is is, built. It's around that. Um, So, yeah, there there are companies there uh, which are actually um, they take the project. They have their standardized way of manufacturing things, and um, uh, they take the the input from the uh, the user. Uh, Usually, they work with the um, with the private investors. Uh, They do um, like uh, parking, hospitals, schools, and so forth, Uh, and then they uh, they design. What the user wants, but the solutions of how everything is uh, put together—it's the ones they develop internally, so that um, they do also the uh, the engineering and the construction uh, for the client. So you 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 go to that company; it's called and uh, So you go to that company, uh, you tell them what you want to create, and then they will take care for the design and the construction and the manufacturing um, 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 for everything, right? So, then uh, this is actually um, uh, another way to deliver um, our products, right? Because you cut out um, a lot of the decisions which are actually creating a lot of waste in place, right? Thinking about who's going to be my suppliers. Um, I can give you an example of one project where we have to, um, uh, to create three design alternatives so that the final client will uh, will select um, a specific supplier for different materials or different components, right? How is the constructor going to construct everything, right? So once you have the design, usually what's uh, what's happening once you have the contractor, that's going to say, oh, I'm not going to construct it this way. I might even thinking about changing the entire solution uh, actually to tailor it on uh, what I have available to work with, right? and so forth we see um, and then if you think about this like doing the design doing the manufacturing and doing the construction um, having one company is actually reducing uh, Mm. the cost for the client but also reducing the the, the waste um, which are and the time as well
0: when less actors are involved yeah should be a little bit easier the workflow yeah that's interesting actually i think uh, ikea is trying something similar in norway I think they they have a partnership with Skanska, if I'm not wrong. They try to sell these kind of buildings or houses pre build
1: Every country has um, their own approaches in this no. direction.
0: I don't know anybody. I did not read anything more about that, so I don't know how it works, if it's uh, all right or not.
1: Yeah, so you see, it's like slowly the industry is changing. You see these innovative approaches popping up in different countries. And 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 there are many more out there. And that slowly
0: it's what's bothering me. That's why I start this podcast, my friend. Because the slowly (laughs) way it's bothering me. Because people need to know there are better ways they can work. There are better ways to do things. Yeah. and to, to learn to hear about better cases and after that to yeah. learn how they can implement that can do the same if a country can do it of course other countries might do it as well can do it as well right yeah, it yeah, might of be course, some struggles of course. of course like always there are countries where the legislation goes easier but it's easier when you have an example when you have a model and this this yeah, is what I, I wish sure. this platform to be a showroom for good ways to build projects
1: yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean sharing this um, or asking people to talk about what they are doing and share this with the entire world, it's it's really meaningful.
0: Now I would like to ask you one last question, and that is going to be what can you recommend to someone who let's say they are interested about BIM? What would you recommend?
1: Well, I was a self-taught and I became the manager um, based on what I managed to um, uh, to read from some uh, academic papers, from some books, uh, and even having some conversation with some people on some blog posts and online, and uh, uh, also having conversation with uh, uh, with the colleagues around me. Because to some extent, some of them are involved um, in in doing something in this. Right? So. Um, I, I mean, there are some structured way of, I mean, if you cannot learn by yourself at home, uh, you might consider, I don't know, doing a, um, or asking um, a, a consultant to do the training for you and to teach you everything. The way I will do it, I did it, and I will do it again. I will just try to learn by myself. Uh and of course, probably that the need of learning by myself. I mean, sometimes I was thinking it, it might be much more interesting to just go to follow some classes, some courses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I couldn't afford them. So then, because of that, I just started to learn by myself and to kind of um, uh, explore what's happening out there in this direction. Another way is like, you see, in, in UK there are a lot of courses. Uh, and then I think that the way the professional industry in the UK it's organized, um, for example, uh, it, it makes much more sense for them to follow a kind of a setup, professional setup, because they have this um, professional points, like continuous education points they get. So it's depending. I mean, uh, of course, um, if you start learning a new tool, for example, to support you in your process, uh, you might want to go and. Um, most of the the software provider, they have the certifications, so that helps also yeah. a little bit. Uh, but when it comes to uh, to the the whole process uh, related to BIM, uh, you need to get involved. Um, you might, uh, I mean, they need to get involved, right? Because with some other colleagues, maybe they are working on some projects where they're already doing this. They can learn. Uh, I learned a lot by doing it, right? And you, uh, with your first project also comes a really steep learning curve, uh, especially when your, your goal is actually to become a BIM manager. And then in, as a BIM manager, you have to deal with a lot of people um, uh, from different ages. You may have your uh, project manager um, not understanding anything of the technical aspects <laughs> what's related to BIM. The only thing he's underst- he, he wants to do is like, to deliver the project in time and then you have to explain to him is like why do you want you need to train the people on the project to use specific software Uh, and yeah uh, there there are different uh, different challenges and then you need to make sure that you train all the people uh, with uh, what's specific to that project Uh, you you convey the the right message with every person joining the project Um,
0: yeah actually what you just said about uh, project managers I think this is one of the biggest problems because there, even if there, there is a better understanding of BIM as a way to approach the building process at the lowest level, like for the engineers at the basic level, right? There is the leadership. It's way behind. And they are the decision makers. Project managers need to learn more about BIM and empower the people around you to use BIM more you are the one that pulled the strings and have it so slowly at the moment and that could go much much quicker if you if you learn first if you learn more about bim and after that if you try to well to yeah, cultivate that but
1: but let me put it this way for example um, you have a project manager uh, who successfully delivered his projects for his entire career mm. let's say <laughs> 25 30 years and then it comes back to what I actually talking in the beginning of, um, of the podcast saying, which are the main key indicators, key performance indicators for a project manager, time and money, right? time and cost. Right? And then one of the things the project manager will always say, we do it like this in the past, we are going to do it again because it's the way it worked well and then we all know how to do it. And then is actually what he's doing is actually shifting the responsibility from him or from uh, the responsibility of decision making from him to the others, uh, which are his team and they already uh, work on a specific way and they, they know how to do things and it takes a little bit of load from the project manager, for example, in terms of making decisions. Because, and, uh, because if you think about it's like, okay, I have a new company, um, I have, Um, not a new company I have a world company maybe with 20 30 people we always used to do the the work in the same way but now we have this project with a new client and um, he requires us to um, let's say work in a more digital way because he actually requires the delivery of the handover to provide specific information which is needed yeah you need to train the people and then Uh, Where where do you put all the costs related to the training, the people you put on the the project?
0: But at the same time, I think companies that uh, live by this rule, that we did it this long in this way and we will do it, we'll keep doing it that way, they will become the dinosaur fossils soon. There are other companies that already are trying a different way and they who will do this will have unmeasured. Uh, gains from this in the future.
1: In the end, it comes down to what the client is asking. Because there were some cases where the client um, received a 3D model um, besides the drawings. I said, I haven't asked for that. I'm hoping I'm not paying for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm not paying additionally for it, right? And there, are, there are clients asking for it. But again, it comes back to the the whole idea of the digital transformation and. Um, I think the, uh, most of the companies are already, uh, I'm seeing changes in this, this direction, right? And um, I think it's um, one of the things, um, um, at least the top management, executive management, I, I actually try to do it these days is actually to create a lot of awareness in the middle level management, which is Mm. the ones which are actually um, um, the project managers, right? So when you talk about the hierarchy on the company, you have the top management middle, and then you have the the people handling the tools and so forth, right? Mm. And uh, I think top management needs to build this awareness. And then, of course, uh, if you want to win projects, you have to change the way you work because you'll no longer be competitive on the market. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the executive managers are actually aware about the entire and, um, uh, let's say, the digital transformation because they need to know what's coming and it's going to disrupt their business, right? So when you think to a CEO or the, uh, the boards of directors of a company, right, they, they all know what's coming. I mean, they need to know what's coming because it's their job and they get a lot of money for that, Right. And if they um, um, they, they are um, caught off guard, let's say, then it, it's going to transform the company in a dinosaur, you mentioned. I think the top management, most of the companies, they know what's happening. Uh, and as, this is when we talk about the big companies. I think the small companies, which are not going to change, probably will not survive, but we see... Kind of uh, small companies are coming, which are innovative, and exactly. even more innovative than the bigger, and they they move faster, and they they have a more agile approach on working and this kind of things. But if you think it's like a lot of um, um, let's say the, uh, the experts in the civil engineering field, they are working for the big companies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then uh, that's where if you have a a company with ten thousand, twenty thousand, forty thousand people. Uh, across the world mm. uh, imagine uh, how many people are employed right yeah. and then of course in order to support that number of uh, people you need to make sure that you continuously get projects yeah. and if you don't change because when the market is changing uh, uh, if you don't change then uh, you'll no longer afford uh, to, uh, to support um, uh, so many people and then they will just run away more probably they will just start their own startups or that they are joined, joined the competition who, who changed.
0: Yeah, I think a startup revolution is necessary actually. And it's happening. I think it's happening already. Uh, what do you think about uh, building smart? Are you following their work? Well,
1: I, I was doing it when I was a big manager, trying to understand or trying to be up to speed of what they are doing. But uh, I have to admit that uh, recently, I. I I put uh, a lot of time on other priorities and not following buildings more.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. I can mention that I've been following them recently and they had this week and the last week, they had many webinars because of uh, COVID-19. They, they cannot uh, yeah, have meetings and seminars live. They moved everything online and they were free webinars. I've been uh, positive, impressed about some of them. Lots of good examples, a lot, many new things, and uh, I think they they are on, onto something, and they might be a very important factor in in pulling everything further.
1: Well, it, it might be I, I I cannot say something because I don't yeah. know what they are yeah. doing. Right? Yeah, you should read a little uh, bit but about. It it might help people to to learn about some things or um, at, at least to know what is coming. Uh, but it's still, I mean, it's like one of the changes the industry needs to know. Uh, or um, I think one of the changes the industry need to adopt is having this. Um, so currently, what's happening is like most of the professionals working on the big company, they are hands on working yeah. on developing something which is going to um, um, let's say be built, created, constructed on the real world. Right, and one of the areas where most of the companies, even the big ones, are lacking it's the research in and development.
0: development yes, you just read my thoughts. I was thinking exactly the same
1: uh, so you you need to invest a lot of time and researching uh, because if you think about um uh, How do you find out what kind of new services can you provide to your client based on the huge amount of data of 100 um, years of um, uh, working um, or having the company in your domain, Mm. right? You need to do the research. Otherwise, you will have to pay someone else to do the research for you, right? Um, Do you want to do it in-house or do you want to do it outside? Um, It might be the need to come up, the need to develop uh, some tools, Uh, which actually support the services. Are you going to do it in-house? Are you going to transform the companies in the software, the the civil engineering companies in the software development companies because we automate everything? Um, So there there are a lot of questions. Are we going to um, um, just outsource the development to other companies and then uh, how we are going to use the expertise of our people, which are experts in the field? on different domains and different um, areas, right? So how are we going to use that? Uh, So you see, it's like, uh, together with this um, um, digital transformation, it it actually, it's coming um, a a lot of questions which um, people need to to answer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we see more and more engineers, um, designers uh, working on different disciplines. They learn how to code, right? They develop their own prototypes. Uh, if you want to uh, implement them across the company, you, you need to make sure that these are, to some extent, professional because you are pro- providing professional services. I can, I can write a, a Python script and then to do something automatically, but I, uh, it, it works well for the given conditions I, I develop it. Mm. If I'm sending the same Python script to someone else, let's say in Australia, uh, it might do something wrong to them. Right, so yeah. that's why the idea, okay, we develop these this small prototypes, um, uh, we come uh, to this idea of sharing what we are doing with the others, but we need to be aware that because we are providing in our domain, in our in civil engineering, um, we are providing professional services, we need to make sure that even the, these small tools, prototypes that are developed internally, are professionally enough to be used on the project because you need to rely on on what that small script is doing and then if it's if somewhere it's breaking it's gonna is gonna break the entire design uh, you are going to creating it and in the end uh, lives are at a stake life life of the people right so that's why i have to say it's like I see a lot of um, this kind of, um, uh, and I really like the idea of having the engineers um, doing uh, programming and developing their own prototypes, uh, solutions to support some automated tasks. But they need to also be aware about uh, their applicability, right? Yeah, Um, because that's um, that's the key. It works because the guy who developed it is pretty smart. Uh, He thought about the project and he developed that prototype. But he developed it on that specific project. Yeah, that's true. But tailor it for that specific project, all right. It might not work on the other projects. Um, And then that's why it's something. I mean, we see people start developing all these kind of solutions. And um, the companies are actually really happy to have some uh, automation in place and to use it. But again, (laughs) it <laughs> comes the the idea of being aware yeah. about the, the how much the solutions are generalizing.
0: Yeah, I read a lot lately about um, parametric design for bridges. That that yeah. could be a case where you can actually reuse it quite easily across other projects as well. If you build a script yeah. for a, how to design a bridge to some specific parameters, you can just uh, uh, adjust those parameters yeah later but
1: then again it's something it's something people need to be aware right yeah yeah yeah, uh, of course. because because we, we see that all these scripts are now um, people have the possibility to uh, just put them um, um, hide them right so you have these um, um, uh, really smart people developing all these parametric models and now you just can just use them out of the box. Uh, yes. In Revit, you have a button, you have the Dynamo player, whatever, mm. right? You can run the script and you can have the, um, uh, the design generated. Now, one thing people should know is that you cannot create a general solution with a simple Dynamo script, right? You can automate some simple tasks, right? But then when it comes to, for example, designing the bridges, right? The, and imagine that I am, let's say, um, uh, from Europe the basis of um, developing that script is actually, let's say, my standards. All the knowledge I have in the field of how to build bridges in Europe, right? Uh, I read the books on uh, uh, what to consider, what to keep in mind when you design something um, as a bridge in Europe, and then it's no longer applicable for the U.S. Right, Because they have different standards, they have different conditions, and then you can move just from country to country in Europe as well, right? Yeah, that's actually something
0: I experienced uh, when trying to learn different softwares. If I found the material from guys from uh, US, it was a little bit more difficult to follow and to apply it. As a yeah, Europe-based,
1: they follow a specific logic, right? So usually, mm. this kind of reasoning—it's kind of embedded deep in the engineer's mind. And then they, uh, after a while of practicing every day the same stuff, it's kind of wired, hardwired in their brain. And then they they follow it, and and sometimes you you have this smart guy developing this parametric model, um, uh, and then you ask him to explain, and he gives you the uh, the impression that is actually built based on his intuition but he's so smart he worked so much on the field he knows a lot uh, and then he no longer knows how to explain where he took something <laughs> right. but yeah so th- these are some of some of the points i mean i i'm i'm a big fan of um, parametric modeling um, um, automated design and generative design uh, as you can see, I have a T-shirt with Dynamo.
0: Yeah, I, I've been willing <laughs> to ask you from the start. Actually, is that a Dynamo? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: um, and I'm teaching Dynamo to my students uh, at the university as well. Uh, is uh, one of the tools to support the parametric design. Um, so, uh, but this is one of the things we should be aware about the limitation. In the end, a model is just a model, right? uh, and like a smart guy said once, all the models are wrong. But some are useful, right? And then the point is like actually that model is useful for a given purpose. You yeah, create it.
0: exactly. That was uh, very well said. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for being with us and sharing your knowledge, Lochan. It was really yeah, really uh, no nice problem. to have you no problem. Uh, it was
1: my pleasure, uh, a pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, anytime you want to, to have another chat.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Thank you very Thank you much.
1: Again. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome.